Well, welcome to Church Project, guys. We're glad that you are here today. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's Bibles over on our lamps on both sides. And uh, even if you don't own one, let that be a, our gift to you. Uh, we're going to go through and study the Bible. Everything that we do is scriptural. Imagine that. That's awesome. And so we want to base everything out of the context of scripture. It's a living document. Uh, so we want you to have that in front of you to study that often. And this week, we're going to go through Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. So Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Uh, If you were here last week, we've been going through the book of Luke for a while now. And last week, uh, if you want to look back at the passage right before, uh, Jesus is praying in the garden. This is the day before he goes and gets crucified. And he's asking his disciples, hey, stay up and pray for me that, that you'll be able to resist the temptation of, of Satan when he comes down on you. And, and all the disciples fell asleep in the garden. And then as, as the evening was wrapping up, uh, the disciples woke up and people, the mobs were coming to arrest Jesus. And, and these anxious disciples, one of them even cut the ear off of one of the high servants, uh, priests, uh, the high priest servant. And so here's where it all kind of culminates right here. This mad mob of people angry at Jesus have come to the garden to arrest Jesus. And that's where our passage left off last week. So I'm going to jump in. I'm going to read these verses. I'm excited for these verses. I think God's going to show us some incredible things. So if you would, follow along, then we'll go through and, and kind of unpack what's happening. So Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Then they seized him, this mad mob of people. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. Verse 58. And, the, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an, an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And in verse 62, he went away and he wept bitterly. Have you read this passage before? Have you heard this passage before? All the, the wise commentarians, some, some people will say that this is uh, titled The Plunge of Peter. The Plunge of Peter. And as I was looking at this passage and studying this passage and praying over this passage this last week, I thought, yeah, no doubt. This is not uh, Peter's, one of Peter's finest moments. And so I can see why people would say this is the plunge of Peter. But when I look at this passage, I don't see so much the plunge of Peter. You know what I see in this passage? And I hope to highlight that today. I don't see the plunge and the failure of Peter. I see the persistent love of God. A lot of people take this passage and make it about a man's failure. 
when, when I look at this passage, I see the love of God. How many of you have failed? Don't raise your hand. No doubt. We have failed. We, we will do wrong things. No doubt. So let's not highlight the failure of Peter in this passage. Let's highlight the persistent love of God. We can probably all relate to this passage in one way, shape, or another. Because at times, uh, the Bible calls this sin, right? And sin is nothing more than an archery term. And what sin is, is when an archer is shooting towards the target and it doesn't hit that bullseye and it's anywhere off, that's called a sin. And so in our life, as, as we are going, if we're not hitting the target of a perfect love of God and living a perfect life, which would make us God, which is impossible, then our life is full of sin. We've not hit that target. So I can relate to Peter, and I think every single one of us can relate to Peter. Have you ever said one thing and did another in your life? Ever? How about this week? Have you? Have you done something and wished immediately, man, I wish I could take that back? Just an action or a word. Think, man, I wish I could take that back. So what I want to do is I really, really want to highlight some things that we have in common with Peter in this passage. Is that okay? I I really want to highlight this. And I think the best way to highlight this is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. We're going to start at the end of the story. We're going to start, well, mid-story for Peter. And later on, this is where we're going to start. It's John chapter 21, and you can look at it. We're not going to go there. But in John chapter 21, it's such a beautiful passage because this is after the story. This is after Peter had denied Jesus three times in the garden or in that courtyard saying, I don't know who this man is. This is after then. Because in John chapter 21, this is my passage. I tell you often, you can't have it because I love this passage so much. It's so personal to me. Because after that, after Jesus has died, Jesus raises from the dead and he shows himself to certain people. And one of the persons that, that Jesus comes to meet in John chapter 21 is Peter. Peter is out fishing. And if I'm anything like Peter, or Peter Peter is anything like me. I'm out fishing thinking, what have I done a while ago in denying Jesus? I'm carrying so much guilt. I'm carrying so much shame. And in John chapter 21, this is the middle of the story where we're starting today. Jesus is on the shore while Peter's out fishing. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's have breakfast. That's beautiful. This is the same Peter that denied him three times. Jesus knew it. And in John chapter 21, he shows up and he shows his persistent love for a man that slapped him in the face three times. This is the king that I want to talk about today. Like this is, this is the love that I want to talk about today. Because all of us in our life have slapped Jesus. All of us in our life have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the perfect love of God. And you know what? He sits on the beach and he calls out and he says, let's have breakfast together. That's love, isn't it? So Peter, let's look at Peter. The passage that we're in right now. And you can just kind of skim and and kind of look at it and reread it if you need to. But the passage right before Jesus told his disciples, hey, stay awake. Pray with me in the garden. What do they do? They all fall asleep. 
But I'm sure they didn't hit that rim cycle of sleep, you know, where you're just twitching and all. No, I think it's probably I'm just do, I'm dozing in and out, like I'm trying I'm trying to stay awake because Jesus has asked me. But I'm in the garden and there's a rock in my back, and you know, and so uncomfortable night. And so if you've ever been camping, you know what that's like. Like you kind of sleep, but you don't sleep. And so Peter, the night before, he's trying to stay awake all night, and, and so he's not necessarily uh, the sharpest. You know, he's a little physically exhausted. And then in the passage before, we see a mob of people come in to the crowd, and I don't know if people, to Jesus, and I don't know if Peter is asleep or not, but they say, what should we do? Should we strike him with our swords? Jesus is like, no, but Peter, I think, I think it's Peter, the one who takes a sword and cuts his ear off, and so that's a problem. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, that, that probably wasn't the smartest thing that you were supposed to do. My, my words, not the Bible words. Um, and so Peter now, he's tired, he's exhausted, he's, his back hurts, he's probably hungry, he might be cold, he just did something, and Jesus said, don't do that. So he might be a, a little embarrassed. I'm trying to set up the story here. I'm trying to put us in this passage right now. So do you have this image in your mind? And are you Peter in this place? And then as the crowd takes Jesus away, what does this scripture say? It says that he followed, he followed in the darkness, Jesus. This man, his Lord, his Savior, Peter, follows in the darkness. And he gets to this courtyard and he's just sitting. He's just waiting He's ready. He doesn't know what he's ready for, but he's already confused and tired and hungry. He's already cut off an ear. He's already seen this. And he's just sitting there following Jesus, waiting, and he's ready. He might be warming up by this campfire that they talk about right here. And he could just be watching out, waiting for the plan. Like, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in this moment? I'm not sure. I've seen Jesus do so many different miracles and act in ways of feeding thousands of people, miraculous things. So I wonder if Peter's at the campfire going, I can't wait to see what happens next. Like some miracle is going to happen. Jesus is going to do something awesome. And as he's sitting there waiting, and I want to say that, waiting, just sitting there, inactive, waiting. Something happens to him, doesn't it? And it sounds about right in my life. When I'm just waiting and I'm just hanging out and I'm just going with the flow and I'm not standing up for truth and for love, that's when Satan likes to come in and attack me. Let me just put it this way. When I go on vacation, I even tend to go, okay, I'm going to put my Bible down. Like, I, I deserve to just sit and do nothing. And that's often one of my worst weeks of my life. I've learned that, by the way. <laughs> Can we really take a vacation from God, from his scripture, from his word? It's oftentimes when I'm just waiting and I'm not prepared that Satan will come in and subtly just take my feet out. Church, does this resonate with you? Does it, is, it, is it moving in you? I want to look at Peter's life a little bit. And I want to highlight just how much he may be like you and I. Just, just, just a little bit. If you remember back in Luke chapter 22, and you can flip through if you want to. We're going to go through a little bit of his life. But in Luke chapter 22, verses 56 through 60 is what we're looking at. And he denies Jesus three times. 
But what happened right before this? Do you remember what happened right before this in the upper room? Chapter 22, verse 34. In the upper room, he said, Jesus said, you will deny me. And Peter said, no, I won't. So how do you go from no, I won't deny you to denying him three times right there? Let's keep going back. We can go to Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, 16, this is kind of the beginning of the story. And Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, yes, blessed are you. Yes, you got it right. But then what happens just a few verses later in chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 22, Peter pulls Jesus aside and starts rebuking him. Like Jesus pulls, uh, Peter pulls Jesus aside and starts rebuking him. And Jesus, right after he said, just a few verses earlier, yes, you got it right. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. How? Is this guy bipolar? Like what's, can you relate? Can you relate? I can relate. How about Matthew 14, 28? This one's a famous story, right? If you've been in Sunday school, you've seen the felt board of this, right? What, what the, remember the felt board? No? Yes. Thank you. I'm not that old, man. Well, I guess I am kind of old. Zoe says I'm old all the time. How, let's come back here. For, 14. Matthew 14, 28, famous story, a raging storm on a boat. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, tell me to come to you, Jesus. And Jesus says, come. So Peter jumps out of the boat and runs on the water. Pretty cool trick. Running with his eyes focused on Jesus. And then look what happens. Literally two verses later, Peter is drowning and says, Jesus, save me. Is this your life? Up and down, hot and cold, excited, depressed, like all over the place. I can relate to Peter. Okay, John chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus says, I am going to wash your feet. And Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Absolutely not. And then I guess a verse later, he changes his mind and says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. You're going, if you're going to wash my feet, you're going to wash my head and my hands and my body. You're going to wash all of me. How do you go from no to absolutely wash everything? Like, he is struggling to find out who this person of Jesus is and how he relates to him and, and his life. Then we hit our passage right here in Luke chapter 22, verse 56. And this passage right here, he denies Jesus three times right after saying he won't do it. But that's not the end of his story. Now let's fast forward a little bit because we even get into Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. This is a different Peter than the Peter that denied Jesus three times to a slave girl in that courtyard that night. Because in Acts chapter 2, verses 22, Jesus has already come back and restored Peter and given him the confidence and said, go do this. And so this is a different Peter than the courtyard Peter. Let's read what happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 22. Man, Peter stands up boldly. And he says, men of Israel, listen to this. It's a different Peter than the one that's denying Jesus in the courtyard, isn't it? Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth 
was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Boom, drop the mic, walk off. I boldly profess Jesus in this place in front of everyone. Is this a different Peter than what we're seeing and we're reading about in our passage? The one that quietly to a servant girl says, I don't know him. Is this you? Is this your life? So we look at Peter and Acts and we go, bravo, Peter. You've got it. Like, you've got it. But again, go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Just when we want to say, Peter, you've perfected your faith. Peter, you're bold. Peter, you got it. That's the kind of man I want to be like Peter in Acts 2. Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Caiaphas, another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul talking about Peter. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was telling he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated from him, from separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when they saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Caiaphas before them all, If you... Though a Jew, live like a Gentile or not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? So Peter in this passage, this bold, strong Peter again is fading back because of men. His life is all over the place. Can you relate to this? And we know through church history that Peter later was crucified on a cross, but he asked to be crucified upside down as to not Um, be crucified the same way his Savior was. This man loved Jesus. And he was imperfect. Do you find a home in the heart of Peter? Can you relate to this man? I can. Is Peter like us? We tend to build walls around certain sins and say, I can never do that. I would never Ever do that. And we build these walls around these sins. And in the moments around campfire, when we're tired and we stink and our back hurts and we're not focused on Jesus, we do those very things that we said we wouldn't do. That's Peter. That's not what this passage is about. But we can relate, can't we? This passage really comes alive. Verse 61. And what does your Bible say? The Lord. It doesn't say, and Jesus. It says, and the Lord 
And we'll get to that and the importance of that in a minute, but let's finish reading this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. In verse 62, he went out and wept bitterly. And the Lord, the Lord divine knowledge, power, and grace, not this man that you've been walking with. I've moved from this man and I've moved into your Lord divine, powerful, full of love, full of grace. And as I like to put myself in this passage, I think Jesus, when they locked eyes and Jesus looked at him, I wonder if Jesus had a bit of a smirk on his face. A bit of a, I see you. Not like a, I see you, how did you do this? Why did you do this, Peter? But when I see this, I wonder if Jesus had a little bit of a smirk on his face. You know that loving smirk that says, okay, it's good. As Peter looked at the face of Jesus, his Lord, and saw his eyes, I wonder if his heart melted. And I wonder if Jesus, as he as they locked eyes in this moment, if Jesus was looking at him and in his mind he was thinking, I'll see you later. We're going to have breakfast together and it's going to be beautiful. Like I knew this was going to happen, Peter. I knew it. This is not a shock to me. I'm using this moment. And even though you're denying me three times and slapping me in the face, I wonder if Jesus looked at him with a smirk and said, do you want fish for breakfast? Because I'm going to restore you and it's going to be beautiful. Peter, I've prayed for you for this moment right here. Satan is going to try to kill you and destroy you and derail you, but I've prayed for you and I cannot wait to have breakfast with you. Isn't that refreshing to you? It's refreshing that Christ does not deal with us the same way that we deal with him. Say that again. It's refreshing that Christ does not deal with us the same way that we deal with him. Oh, that look, that look. What does that look as Jesus is looking at us, as we are Peter? What does that look feel like? And what does it look like to you? Oh man, that is so full of so much emotion in this place. It's the look of love and the look of understanding. And I think this is also a look that brings us back to the beginning of Peter's start of his story. And you can find that in Luke 5, 8. But in the beginning, in Luke 5, 8, was the first time that Peter came in contact with Jesus. And the first time he came in contact with Jesus, he fell to the ground and he said, I am a sinner, God. That Peter, the first time he met Jesus, I wonder if it came back when Jesus looked at him in this moment that we're in. And Peter knew He was found out. (laughs) Peter knew all the accolades, all the awards, all the accomplishments, all the things that happened together in their life from the first moment till now, that stuff did not matter. What mattered was that look and that moment and that relationship and knowing that he was a sinful man in the face of his king. 
and that his king wanted to have breakfast with him. It was restoring him. It was loving him. That look says a lot to me. How about to you? I want to ask us, church, are you looking into the face of the Lord? Or are you so busy you go about your day just doing wonderful world-changing things? You can even be going about your day making disciples. Bravo! Means nothing if we're not looking at the face of our king. Are you, church, are we looking at the face of our king? Matthew Henry is a a commentarian, and he says this, the grace of God works in and by the word of God. It brings to mind and sets that home upon the consciousness, and so that gives the soul a happy turn. When we look at the face of our king, when we're spending time in his word, when we're um, doing that with Jesus, it lets us know how much joy, love, and grace is actually wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King. So what does this mean and for us individually? What does this mean for, for a church project at large? I hope, you know what I hope it means for us as a church? The goal of this church is not to shoot those that are wounded among us. It's not to eat our own. Because if you look at this, one could argue that Peter's denial should have disqualified him from any leadership position. Wouldn't you agree? How can you let Peter lead this church? Peter's the one that denied Jesus three times. Disqualified That's the world's thinking, isn't it? Church, are we eating our own? Or is there so much grace and love in us that even if we're slapped in the face three times, we still welcome someone with open arms and say, I want to introduce you to the love of my king. He could have been disqualified. Jesus says, no, we're going to have breakfast together. Jesus had already set the stage for Peter's recovery And he knew that once Peter was recovered, he was going to be a powerful man of God. And he was going to lead the church in mighty, mighty ways. As a church, our purposes, and you can read them on the wall as you walk out, we're here. Why do we exist? We're here to make disciples, meet needs, and grow churches. We're going to say this often. We're going to be in unison in this because this is what God has asked us to do. As a church body, we're going to make disciples. Everything that we do should go about making disciples. That's why we have house churches. That's why, yes, we're even going to the marriage retreat. That's why we're going to Haiti. Like Everything that we do, we're going to make disciples. We're also going to meet needs. That's why we go to Haiti. That's why we do ministry partnership stuff. We're going to meet needs. We see the church, early church doing it. We're going to do that. And we're also going to grow churches. Everywhere that we go, I would like to say this. We're each a church. We each have Jesus in us. And we're growing the church that's in us. And if that even equates to a neighborhood church, like where you live, starting a church there called a house church, or even a physical church like this, how awesome would it be if every single one of us ended up doing that? Showing others and telling others, the uh, people around us, the love of God. 
If you want to be encouraged this week, there's a great book that my grandpa gave me called Back to Jerusalem. Back to Jerusalem is about the house church movement in China. And what's happening in China, literally right now, I sat with the professor this week, he's a professor at Fuller, and and we sat through church planning classes all week long, and he literally has been to China, and he says, happening in China right now are girls, 13 years old, that are leading thousands of people, because they're so in love with God. But yet we come to America, and we box it in, and we say, if it doesn't look like this, we're not going to do it. Church. Be powerful. God's created us to be powerful. And when Satan comes to cut out your feet, say, I'm sorry, Jesus is waiting for me on the beach and he wants to have breakfast with me. This passage is not about the plunge of Peter. It's about the persistent love of God. And I want to end with a little, uh, a little story uh, little riddle or not a riddle. I don't know what this is called. Somebody smarter than me tell me what this is, okay? What blood is to the body, a dialogue is to a relationship. Okay, you get it? What blood is to the body, dialogue is to a relationship. So if blood stops flowing in the body, it dies. So church, if we stop speaking love, the church dies. When we speak love, we dialogue with Greeley, dialogue with our neighbors, our friends, and we tell them, we show them the love of God. Here's the good news. God's already pursuing those he loves. It just may be a hug. It just may be our locking eyes with them. But I can guarantee you that the way that we speak love in Greeley is that we first realize that we are loved and that Jesus is persistent in that love. So what things do you have in your life? Things maybe even right now Satan is reminding you of. You did that again, remember? That thing? Told you. Failure. <laughs> and Jesus says, I know this. And I forgive you. And I love you. And my love will never fail. Is this good news, church? I hope this finds its way to your heart today. That it's an encouraging message to you. And I hope that when you read this passage, you'll never again see the plunder and the plummeting of Peter, but you'll see the persistence of God and how he's orchestrating our entire life for his purpose. I'd like us to close our Bibles and really spend some time reflecting on this. Like really spend time reflecting on this. If we get this, it changes the way that we perceive all of life. Because it's not an action-based checklist relationship. It's just a relationship. A relationship that grows. Because God's love is persistent in us. Even if to the world's standards we don't deserve it and we're disqualified, Jesus says, I'm pursuing you. Smile, child. I love you.
So in this place, if you would, let's let God speak to our hearts. If you're comfortable with it, just close your eyes and hold out your hands in just a submission state and say, God, oh God, here's my life. Would you in this moment penetrate my my heart and my mind and speak to me? Show me how much you love me in this place. God, highlight things in my life that maybe I'm not living in line with you. And God, I, I give that to you because God, your love is persistent. And I'm sorry, I have been the one that has stopped that love because of guilt. God, I receive your love in this place. Your never-ending, everlasting love. So easy for me to think that I'm me and you are you. But God, the reality is this. This is my body and it is you. So God, may I abide in you in this place. May your love wash over me in this place. Church, I'm going to ask us to worship God. Whatever that looks like for you is going to be different than anyone else. Maybe you sitting here and God speaking to you is just you're going to continue to sit there and commune, talk, spend time, abide with God. Maybe it's going to look like you standing and just worshiping with your, with your words, hands, Declaring these beautiful lyrics to these songs that we sing. They're not pointless. They're on purpose and they're for a meaning. Maybe worship for you is going to look like communion on your back right. When you're ready, you just go over and take a cracker and dip it in the grape juice and let that cracker and grape juice represent a body and that was broken and blood that was spilled for you as you thank God for what he's done for your life and you do it in remembrance of him. Go humbly saying, God, I confess of anything that I have in my life that doesn't align with you, and I'm here to worship you. Maybe worship will look like tithes and offerings on both sides. You can do that in the boxes. Maybe worship for you looks like just writing a prayer request on the back of that card and turning it in or talking with someone. But church, let's do this. Let's abide with him and let's worship him in this place because his love is persistent. Amen. God, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for pursuing us and loving us. I pray that when the world and when Satan tries to distract us from that love, that we'll remember it's about you and abiding in you. It's your name we pray. Amen.